You are listening to This is Oklahoma, hosted by Mike Hearn, telling stories of Oklahomans and those that have made it their home. Before we get into today's episode, I want to tell you a little bit about our current sponsors, uh, the Oklahoma Hall of Fame. As you well know, if you've been following This is Oklahoma, they've been a huge part of this podcast. So this podcast is presented by the Oklahoma Hall of Fame, telling an Oklahoma story through its people since 1927. For more information on the Hall of Fame, go to www.oklahomahof.com and follow them on Instagram for daily updates at Oklahoma HOF. Also for the podcast, a new sponsor, RCB Bank. Since 1936, RCB Bank has offered progressive products and a friendly service. Come in today to find out more about their loan promotion on new used refinance cars, boats, campers, and ATVs. Visit RCB Bank to learn more. RCB Bank, that's my bank. With approved credit, restrictions apply. Now, let's get into today's episode. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of This is Oklahoma. Mike Hearn here, your host. Back with another episode down at the Contemporary Art Museum today. Um, thanks. Huge shout out to them for, for having us. Us. Um, we're down here uh, with my guest Heather Rober. Thank you so much for coming down. I'm excited to, to get you know to get to know you a bit more and and to, for our listeners to get to know you. Um, they might have seen some of the stuff that you've done or seen that you know you work with Smith and Pickle now, who we've previously had Matt on as a guest and learned all about the amazing buildings that Smith and Pickle and the impact that Smith and Pickle has in Oklahoma City. Um, but before we dive into current times, tell us a little bit about yourself. Where'd you grow up? Hi, um, I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. <clears throat> I grew up in Mustang. I was born in Tulsa, grew up in Mustang, um, graduated high school there, grew up in a family of six kids. I was number two. Yeah. And spent my summers usually elsewhere. Um, always went back and forth between my dad and my mom's family since that was kind of the arrangement since I was born. And yeah, it was a really great upbringing. Yeah. So a uh, Mustang out in the country? It wasn't really out in the country. No. I mean, it was it was in Mustang proper, but <clears throat> yeah, so not definitely rural compared to Oklahoma City for sure. Right, and you're two in the line of six. I am, yes. Uh, older brother or older sister? I have an older sister. Okay. <clears throat> and she and I are from my dad and my mom, and then my mom and dad divorced when I was a baby, mm-hmm. <clears throat> just a couple months in, and then yeah. Um, she remarried and had four more right after. So we all kind of grew up as a big group with my mom and my stepmom, or yeah. my mom and my stepdad, and he was pretty much my dad. All right. So so growing up then around, you know, like a lot of kids and family and, and in Mustang, do you get into, you know, uh, obviously you work in arch- architecture now. Are you interested in architecture at a young age or are you interested in sport? Like what was your kind of high, high school and stuff like that? Um, <clears throat> when I was young, sorry, I'm getting over a cold, so. <laughs> sorry. I might be clearing my throat a lot, but I I was really interested in fashion. I was interested in design. Mm-hmm. I was really meticulous. My son came to me the other day, he's 10, and told me that he needed to spend some time rearranging his room, and I was like, I know where that came from. I spent <laughs> yeah. most of my time studying makeup, hair, indoor, I was an indoor girl, for mm-hmm. sure. And um, But I also found myself being really... Um, engineering minded. <clears throat> so I was like the fix it person in the family out of the six kids and my parents. I was the only one that ever really did much yeah. of that. And so I think that's how my mind was wired. And I was also really pretty artistic and yeah. creative. And so all of those things sort of led me to both of my career directions, mm-hmm. which I feel like are, are 
they coincide nicely. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So so growing up with kind of like the love of fashion and, and kind of cosmetics and stuff like that, um, when, you know, you're growing up and you follow your dad with your height, so, mm-hmm. you know, you, people, when you, as a kid, you stand out, right, because you're a lot taller, especially as a female. Mm-hmm. Um, you is, is the eye on, I want to get into modeling or doing shows or fashion or, I mean, from like a middle to high school age before you go into college? Um, I mean, I can track back to kindergarten. Really? Wanting to model. Okay. Um, it's ironic because, I mean, who knew if I would actually be able to. Right. But even my kindergarten teacher, which I randomly ran into a couple of years ago, yeah. um, she actually identified my daughter and recognized my daughter and remembered me. That's awesome. I know, random. Yeah. But uh, anyway, as early as kindergarten, I was really interested in the fashion industry, and my family could not be further from that. And so it was sort of my own endeavor. Yeah. And then um, the architecture came a little bit later. I would say I, I kind of put all of those pieces together in my mind around um, high school age mm-hmm. for that. Um, but very much still focused on the fashion side, and that was what I pursued first. Yeah, so you you start modeling, and then you get picked up and, and noticed, and people start coming to you and saying, mm-hmm. hey, let's go, you know, we would like to hire you and be a model, and that whole process as you're going through is, high school? It is a very ambiguous industry, yeah. and growing up in rural Oklahoma, it's clearly there's not a lot of right. opportunity. Also, being one of six kids, I mean, I was not the focus of my parents' lives. And so if I wanted to get somewhere, I was going to have to pursue it. So um, I I really sort of followed my own heart, if you will, and Mm -hmm. somehow the cards aligned. I did a pageant, excuse me, in my late teen years, the Miss Teen Oklahoma USA pageant, did well with that, ended up finding a local um, agent that I started doing some local work here, but it was when I graduated high school, some girlfriends of, of mine and I went down to Dallas just to shop, and mm-hmm. of course the cliche got scouted in the mall, <laughs> and next thing I know I'm in New York, and signing in Germany, and Miami Beach, and yeah. Life York, takes and, off from that point. Yeah, it's sort of taking off. However, I didn't really feel like I had a, a huge idea of where exactly I was headed. I was just kind of like, okay, this is, you know, for the first time in my life, I'm doing something that I feel like I'm really, really good at, right. and I'm really passionate about, and so I was just kind of riding the wave. Yeah, you're like the timing's great. This I've got, you know, why not? I'm passionate about this. Let's go all in, and you get thrown into, put in that in that world, mm-hmm. and now you're you're traveling. You have contracts. Mm-hmm. You have, you know, like I said, you're getting signed everywhere, and you know, I can't imagine what it's like going from Mustang growing up to mm-hmm. going to New York right at the you know in your late teens and. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was ready. Yeah? I was so ready. That's yeah. so good. No, I was, I was like ready to get out and spread my wings and go yeah. take on the world. To yeah. be honest, I don't know where that came and from. But. Back to, um, you know, like growing up and being one of the oldest and having to figure out stuff on your own, I guess that's why you're probably ready, right? Because you weren't like, oh, I kind of, mom, dad, will you come with me? Like you oh, were like, no. I, I can do this. There, there was no way I was going to get that kind of guidance, yeah. you know, I, so I knew that it needed to be my own initiative. But I think I was also a little bit more driven than maybe my siblings were growing up and just wanted different things. And it was certainly of my own doing. It was never an influence of my family at all. It was just like an individual passion I I just had innately. So not having like the go get it, that kind of passion from family and around that, where do you get that from? Um, I'm not quite sure. It, It might come from... My bio dad, he, so he played basketball in college. He was a college athlete, played basketball at OSU. And I know that takes a certain level of right. commitment and drive. 
And so perhaps from that side, my dad's side of the family is also extremely successful. Yeah. And have done a lot. They live all over the U.S. and have amazing stories. And so perhaps that was an innate thing in me. But sure. outside of that, I'm not really quite sure. It was just something that was just always in me. Yeah. And, and, and you see that. And, and I guess, yeah, you're right. I mean, you have that side from your dad. And, and with the, their family being all over and successful, like, well, I can do that. Even though it's not in your own home at the time and your own dad taking care of the kids mm -hmm. or whatever, you're like, there's no reason I can't do that. Correct. Nothing's yeah. stopping me. Nothing's holding me back. He did take... I did start traveling... When I did travel, I traveled with my dad when I was there in the summers, and so I got out and yeah. saw some things and maybe had a little bit of a vignette of sure. of what I wanted later in life. Mm -hmm. So so you get spotted in the mall and signed, <clears throat> and then where's <throat> that first trip? Do you get? Is it New York? It was New York, yeah. Okay. I mean, I did work in Dallas. Sure. And obviously, I still had my agent here in town, but I went to New York, and then I went to Miami Beach. And then it was around that time my, my stepdad, who I consider my dad, had raised me since I was two months old. He had congestive heart failure and wasn't doing well. And it was around that time that he finally got a heart transplant and passed away. Oh, wow. And it sort of redirected what I wanted. And I think in part it was influenced by what I thought he might have wanted for me. Sure. Um, I don't really look back um, with a regret per se, but it definitely shifted where I was headed in my yeah, yeah. my path. So, so at that point, then do you step away from modeling and go a different route? I did route? completely. Yeah, I did. What do you go into? <clears throat> I actually was a missionary. I no went and way. became a missionary in California. I was yeah. raised Mormon. Okay. And um, I went out there, Spanish speaking. It was it's a it's a huge commitment. I don't know if you know much about Mormon missions, but it is like full time. Right. You don't watch TV. You don't call your friends back home. You're not like no connection. You're in a totally to, different world now. To anyone but yeah. the work you're doing, and it's 100% of the time. Yeah. So it was quite a shift. I loved it and really poured myself into the volunteerism aspect of it, of mm -hmm. really just giving back and giving to to who was in need and that has certainly shaped yeah. my life now and, and how I try to balance my life with giving and volunteerism and and, and giving back to the community that raised right. me. So I feel like that the missionary work was a giving back to my dad that raised me. Yeah. I feel like my work now is a giving back to the community that raised me, my gotcha. Oklahoma community. And you mentioned Spanish. You learned Spanish while you were out there. I did. I still speak Spanish. I came yeah. back actually and worked for Midland Mortgage and, and helped open their interior, or I'm sorry, their um, Spanish-speaking department. Okay. I was doing uh, finance at the yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, So I helped them open that, did that, shifted into that, and then when I married my husband, he is from Belarus and Russian-speaking, and once we had kids, he only spoke Russian, so I really haven't had a chance to use the Spanish until now, yeah. getting back into construction. Obviously, I do have sure. opportunities that present themselves to... Um, revitalize that yeah, yeah, yeah. that skill but yeah so so you come back from from doing your missionary work you now fluent speaking in Spanish uh, what time like how old are you at that point and then where do you go from there to transition into like do you go back to modeling or do you transition into <clears throat> the architecture world no so I got back I was about 23 years old and I applied to the University of Central Oklahoma and I got their presidential leadership scholarship so it's you're you're pretty committed on maintaining a certain GPA. You're committed to being involved in a minimum of three mm -hmm. 
organizations on campus and in a leadership role. So again, this is pushing my leadership yeah. skills, pushing me to be outward. And while I'm doing my studies, which I studied interior design and I minored in art history, I'm also engaging in my community right. at the time. And so that was a really great segue. And I got really plugged in to all the leaders there because I ended up working for Dr. Webb um, on campus and still to this day, I'm close friends with several of the VPs and yeah. the leaders that were there at that time. So at that time you think, I'm gonna go down back to my kind of passion of, of architecture and artwork and that's where my job's gonna be in. At that time in your right. life, you wanted to get that. And I, was, uh, I was against going to college yeah. unless I had a desire to get a degree that was going to be relevant. Right. <laughs> I, I'm all, so, I mean, that is normal now, but back then it probably wasn't. People well, were like, oh, everybody gets a degree. And, yeah. I felt like you, you just go get a degree right. and it doesn't matter what you get. But I felt like if I'm going to go get a degree, I want this degree to be necessary for me to yeah. work in that trade. And so, again, architecture was kind of my thought process. So I'm thinking I'm going to do architecture. Mm -hmm. However, UCO didn't have that. So I did interior design, which I focused on interior architecture. So I worked for commercial yeah, interior yeah, design yeah. firms including University of Central Oklahoma has a architectural and engineering services department, which okay. I helped open their interior design department. So I was That was after you graduated, right? Correct. Yeah. Correct. So, yes. you, so at UCO, you're learning all this stuff. You're in the community. You, got, you, know, you have the scholarship, mm -hmm. and you're kind of like diving all in because that's just now who you are and what you do is you know, if you're going to do something, you throw yourself into it. Um, do you start modeling again? Because you were like former Mrs. Oklahoma, right? Uh, at that point, I wasn't. Okay. But so that yes, comes later. I did get reconnected with my agent that I had in high school, sure. which was local. And her name was Patty Gears. <clears throat> she owned Harrison Gears Modeling Agency and really was the only agency here. But she did pass away when I was 25. So in my college years, while wow. I was studying, she passed. And I reached out to her husband, asked him if I could take over the company. He was so heartbroken, he yeah. ended up just not wanting to even go through all of her material, right. and so let that go, and I, I found an agent in Tulsa. Okay. So that was the only agency at the time. And then fast forward, after I'm in my career, I decided to take a step away because I had had my first child and thought I needed to stay home with her for a while, which yeah. was served me very well, because I later found out she had Asperger's, and right. so I was able to be there and available for her. But <clears throat> it was during that time that I decided to do Mrs. Oklahoma, because staying home mm -hmm. full-time was getting me really antsy, and so I wanted right. to volunteer, and I thought if I have an opportunity to do it through an organization, mm -hmm. that would be better. Somebody had asked me to do Mrs. Oklahoma, and I thought this could be a really good way to plug into the community mm -hmm. again, give back while I'm also raising my kids, and yeah. so that's how that yeah. unfolded. And, and I'm sure, like you mentioned, you're getting antsy, like you know, you're always on the move, you're always doing mm -hmm. something, and then having a child is no easy task and, and raising a child I'm sure is no easy task I have no I have no experience of that but I see my <laughs> nephews and nieces and I, I'm happy to give them back to their mum and dads yeah I don't uh, blame you but you know you, you're like I, there's, there's part of you that says I, ha I, can, I have time I can do something mm -hmm. let me do something and mm -hmm. give back and then that you know the, the, the growing up just giving back in general and getting that side from, from family you know and then put the modeling thing in it too a lot of people don't realize that the people who win Mrs. Oklahoma or Miss Oklahoma or pageant stuff, they don't realize the amount of, you know, the amount of things the organization does to give back, right? They just see, oh, yeah. you know, a woman walking around with a crown and a sachet mm -hmm. and she's smiling and taking photos. And we only do that 
during you know, the competition. Exactly, and right? They, that, they don't no see like that. yeah, and they don't see. I mean, now they probably might see it a bit more with social media, but they don't see you engaging the community, going out and speaking, and, right. and having an impact. Mm -hmm. So that's why when when you get that. Mm -hmm you now are on the, I guess you're on a circuit, yeah. right? That, that they're it's, like, hey, here's all these events. Which ones do you want to go to? It was a way to catapult or give me a platform to get out. So mm -hmm. I capitalized on that. And, you know, you're required to make, what, 12 appearances in that given year. And I did over 250 that year. I was just <laughs> ready to yeah. do whatever the community needed. I worked with the Allied Arts. I worked with Calm Waters, which is an organization that is geared towards children who are grieving either a divorced parent uh -huh. situation or death of a parent, which I had experienced both at this point. So I felt like I was able to help. And then I also worked with the Oklahoma, Oklahoma marriage initiative, which also I, I trained parents that were second time parents, yeah. um, through that organization. And then I, I mean, you name it, I was speaking all the time or volunteering, right. um, with yeah. anything that anybody needed that I could make time for. So and raising a child. It was a great year. Yeah. Oh, yes, of course, obviously. Yeah. Yes, that was my number one priority, but I was um, taking advantage of the opportunity to just plug right. in. Yeah, and all of that was around Oklahoma? Like, oh, Oklahoma Only City Oklahoma. or just, oh, just the state? I went to Tulsa a lot. Okay. I did some remote uh, towns. I'd have to go back, go back and yeah. look. It's been over a decade now, but um, definitely got up to Tulsa quite a bit, but primarily in the metro. Mm -hmm. and, and from that, does, does kind of like, did that, after, after you had your year, any Mrs. Oklahoma's that came after you, I mean, they've gone from probably doing 12 events, right? Every year, someone's done 12 <laughs> events, and then you come in and do 200 plus, and you're like... They certainly scaled back. Yeah. However, my, I got but to But you kind of set the standard, hadn't you? So, like, anyone I, else who came I after you... I don't want to call it a standard. I think we all... I think you can make that year whatever yeah. you want it to be. That was what I needed okay. and wanted it to be. And my successor happened to be my best friend and she had her purpose with yeah. her daughter. And so everybody has what they want to give and get out okay. of that. And yeah. I was able to do that. Right. It, I guess it just speaks to kind of the, the, the person you are and, and, and the amount of things, you know, when you do do something, you are going all in. That on is very true. Matt yeah. actually said that. He's like, so I've learned that there's only two speeds to Heather. There's like, stop or go. Yeah, it's <laughs> like, yeah, like fully on or fully off. Yeah, like, <laughs> Definitely how I work. Yeah. Uh, so so you, you do this, you, you know, you have a year on the road, basically, you're doing these events, community impact as Mrs. Oklahoma. Does that kind of pique the interest about getting back into modeling again? Like well, about like I really getting back into the industry? Like what you said, I, I merged my yeah. ability. Some people mm -hmm. would use me for advertising, and I certainly did that for free. Right. And also did a lot of other things in the community. So it sort of did merge those two for me. And I ended up meeting one of my sponsors. I, I got everything sponsored that year. And my hair sponsor was Anthony David. And one day we were talking and he was like, I'm just really impressed with what you've done with your year. I, I really want to go into business with you. And I was like, well, what, what do you, you want to do? Yeah. What, what are we going to do? And he's like, I want to do a modeling agency. And I was like, you know, that's pretty relevant. There's not one here in the city. I have a background in that. And um, we could certainly do something here. So we went into business together that year. Yeah. We started it that year. And so that became my focus once I gave up my title and then about two years in, I bought him out, rebranded it, and it's been my baby ever since. And that was about the time, it was about two or three years in when I started placing models yeah. in national positions and then also internationally as well. So it was a really fun time and uh -huh. a really fun ride that I focused solely on outside of raising my kids because right. I now have three. But um, that was what I did 
until I came back to the industry I'm in now. Yeah. And that, for people listening, that is Brink Models. Brink Model Management, yes. That is what um, I've been working on for the past 12 years, building that brand, building the capability to scout, train, Mm -hmm. identify talent that I know what markets they would do well in, how to get them prepared. And then I have models that honestly live all over the world now. And I have a partner in Montreal and I have a partner in Nashville and they manage most of my out of town models. I have a couple that are just kind of my children at this point. I manage them still, but, um, and then we have a local, um, a group of local models. So I, at any given time, we're going to manage about 90 give or take models, um, out, out of state models, we'll probably have about 20 to 30 mm-hmm. that are capable of doing that. Out of that, we'll probably have a handful that are everyday working. Yeah, It's a very, very selective industry. Mm-hmm. It's very hard to get into. <clears throat> but I've been doing it long enough and have been partners with the agencies around the world for long mm-hmm. enough that I know exactly what they're looking for and I can help. And you built a trusted reputation with them. And, Absolutely. And, you know, integrity and all the rest of that, it. They know exactly who you, you are know, and what you do. You know, that surpasses it all. One of the yeah. things about the model lifestyle and the, the livelihood of a model is that it's going to be short-lived. And so one of the things that I bank on, my relationships with my agents around the world and my scouts, they know that I'll bring them a model mm-hmm. that will work for maybe five years yeah. and then I'll bring them another model. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. so... It's about that trust with me, and they, they know that I understand the, yeah. the talent that they're looking for and how to get where they need to be. Yeah. So, yeah, that, that's been... Honestly, I will say that is one of the things that has helped me in my role now. Okay. Because I work... Um, I, work in a, I do a lot of things at Smith, Smith & Pickle, but primarily business development, community relations, and building and developing long-term relationships is something that I'm very familiar with yeah. because of my agency... Right. Yeah. I, 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 and this is going to, this theme is coming through this story and I'm sure it's going to continue is the fact that like you weave and bring everything, everything that you've done, you kind of bring it all together to whatever it is you're working on now, Absolutely. which is really cool to see. You mentioned, uh, you know, as having, having the agency and training models, mm-hmm. you've been pretty successful at training models after doing some research, right? You've had a lot of <laughs> Miss Oklahomas and, and stuff like that. Thank you. Yes. Uh, so when I won Mrs. Oklahoma, I, honestly didn't know what I was doing. Right. I just think it was like luck of the draw. And so I was trained to go to the national competition and I learned so many tools. So mm-hmm. the way I saw it was I started my agency. I started scouting at pageants cause it's a great place to find right. beautiful yeah. girls and, and guy, well not guys in the pageantry, but beautiful girls. So I'm scouting them from there. They have these, skill sets that mm-hmm. they come along with because they can walk, they can talk, they can have, you know, conversation with you. It's, it's really great. Believe it or not, most of our teenage girls that come in can't do those things. And yeah. so I'm having to work with them. But as I started building up this team, I thought I could scout, I could do the reverse and I could scout for the, for the pageant right. as well within my agency. And so I started doing that and I ended up having five back-to-back winners. I mean, I was, on a roll there yeah. for a minute. So I got the, I, I won the first two years and then the next year I had the top three, the next year I had the top five, the next year I had the miss and the teen. And it, it was a lot of fun for me because the way I saw it is that I'm taking this raw talent, mm-hmm. I'm training them, but just giving them an opportunity 
to stand up against the other girls and know what they're yeah. doing, which I didn't have. So yeah. <laughs> again, it's really just about equipping them with the tools they need to be successful in whatever it is that they're after. Mm-hmm. So that, and that can be very expensive to, to do that for, mm-hmm. for the, for the girls, right? Yes. Like that's not cheap. Very. And that's something that you didn't charge them for. I did charge them for okay, that. But when I trained for pageants, I, ch- I did charge them. You're probably thinking about how I run my agency. And that okay, is, that's right. that and I, I, I'll take that I know they again. seem very similar, yeah. but pageants and modeling are, are completely totally different. different. I just see toddlers and the tiaras irony. and think this I is know. like, that's, you know, there's just some mum that's like, I you're gorgeous, you're going to throw you on stage. Anybody that's listening out there that thinks that they want to get their young children into pageantry or modeling, yeah. I, I do not support it. Okay. I have two girls of my own. I have a teenage girl. I have a young girl. I will never put any of them in it anything until, until they least, get to the age that they want to decide unless to do they're it. at least 16 and actually are genuinely interested okay i am yeah not for that that's just a personal opinion no i mean I, but I that trickles it. down into my agency yeah. so just enough why I, yeah, that's, I, but I, the I, way i, totally I run my agency um is a bit different so when i started modeling and i started working in dallas there was back in that time there were a lot of modeling schools and most mm. agencies that were not new york miami dallas chicago la in order for them to make money and, and have a profit they would create a school and so they were expecting me to come in and do this two thousand dollar school which of course i was like there's no way That's i'm going to no do way. that yeah and they overrode that and said you know we believe in you so much we're willing to override that we'll represent you, train you, do whatever we need to do um, at no cost. And that has sort of been my motto at my company because I feel like a lot of those schools will take talent that's not going to go anywhere. Yeah, just for a paycheck. Yeah, and and the only way my company profits, the agency profits, is that when they work, I have a commission on that. And so I will only represent a model if I know that my clients will book him or her. And um, so that's sort of something that you will probably not see anywhere mm-hmm. else, especially in a place like yeah. Oklahoma. And you invest in them because, like you said, you don't get paid until they get booked. So you no. invest your time and everything you know oh, yes. to building them up, to making them who they are and making uh-huh. them the best and, of what they are. And that's why I have outsourced my models that I place because those girls take years. I'm talking like yeah. five solid years of development-ish. One of my girls... At 13, I brought her in, and she didn't make money till she was 18. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and I s- practically raised her, you know? So, yes, it's a labor of love. So that's why I've had to outsource that, because I do have another job now, and yeah. that's my primary focus. And so the, my my partner in Nashville and then my partner in Montreal do, the, do all the legwork yeah. for that now. Awesome. <clears throat> you mentioned... Um, leading into you know you stepping away and having a great team that takes care of the modeling side mm-hmm. and now you are into you know architecture and and working for smith and pickle how do you get from brink to smith and pickle <laughs> yeah that was kind of a challenge so i i had my undergrad with interior design i knew i wanted to come back to the industry but not in interior design mm-hmm. one of the things i learned about myself with owning my business is that i'm i'm more of an outward person and rather than a technical person. So, you know, designers find themselves in front of the computer all day working in, you know, CAD yeah. and Revit, and that is probably not the best use of my skill set. Right. I think I can be more useful elsewhere. And when I was looking into it, I was looking at architecture, I was looking at structural engineering, and at the end of the day, somebody just randomly mentioned construction, and I was like, no way. I went to meet with the director at the OU graduate program, and 
sat with him and I thought, wow, this really fits my personality. Yeah. I could, I could do this. I already have the design background. I understand that portion of it. I don't know that I necessarily needed to get another degree, sure. but I wanted to requalify myself. And so I got my master's in construction management. I was immediately picked up at Manhattan Construction two weeks into my program and started working and just hadn't, yeah. I haven't looked back since. Yeah. So, so you, I mean, it's good back again, like I said, back to like the reoccurring story and everything that you tie together and the part that drives you, you could have just been like, you know, I'm just going to go into construction. I don't really need to do my master's. And, but having that piece of paper and knowing that like I can, I, I belong here anyway. And I, now I have a piece of paper to say that I belong here because I've done the same courses that most of the people I'm talking to have done. Some people might not have just done that. Some people have just taken the easy road, right? No. And said, oh, I can yes. do this. Let me just do it. I don't need a piece of paper. I don't need to go learn stuff. It was for me. Yeah. It wasn't for anyone else. And as I started working, I was told over and over that there was no need to continue. You can just stop studying. But I, I went through to the end. And, and I'm grateful I did because it wasn't until the end that I really had to push myself uh -huh. into a new box that I had not ever been in. And that was doing my graduate research. And I, at the time, had already been working full time. Mm -hmm. So I, I jumped in prematurely, I yeah. will say, as a project manager, was not equipped to handle yeah. what I was about to take on. And I, it was like baptism by fire. <laughs> I was barely in survival mode. And I thought to myself, I cannot gain 10 years of technical information mm -hmm. in, in one year. So how am I going to deliver, because I was doing two projects, right. how am I going to deliver these two projects and be successful, yeah. I gotta do this fast. And so I thought, really, I think the way I can do this is if I have the proper communication with all the players on, on the team. Mm -hmm. And when you think about the team that you're managing, as a project manager in the, in, in the field, you have the owner, you have the architect, and you have the contractor. And in the yeah. contractor team, you have a superintendent and you have a, a project manager. So the project manager is really the go-between between the superintendent, the architect, and the owner. And when you think about that, the superintendent is managing the subs. You have little to no education yeah. a lot of times in that realm, um, formal education, I should sure. say. And a lot of the culture is very different. I mean, so many people like in and out of jail and you don't know if right. they're showing up the next day, that kind of a lifestyle. Then you've got architects who are these creatives and thoughtful and never really in a, in a hurry per se. Yeah. Um, they're artists, right? They're artists. They, they do what they do. They, yeah. Exactly. I love that. I was there. They don't I was like a designer. Deadlines. I've been there. <laughs> um, and then you've got the owners who are typically highly educated, um, financially driven, um, really at the end of the day, driven by the budget and the schedule. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm feeling the pressure to make the owner happy. And in order to make the owner happy, I also have to make the architect happy, who yeah. I actually don't have a contract with. The yeah. contract is, is just with the owner. Yeah. And then I also need to work with my superintendent and make sure that I am fielding anything that he might need or she might need and bring everything to the table. So I studied the relationship between these parties. Yeah. I um, surveyed architects and owners and superintendents and project managers and thought, what are the main motivators that make you want to communicate? Because one of the other issues is that you get these three players into a team that have never worked together. They don't trust each other. They yeah. don't, they're all in it for themselves in a way. Right. How do you create that synergy? It's usually about a year's time and create something that is going to be 
delivered properly. It's, it's just so many moving parts. So anyway, at the end of the day, I studied this and my professor that I worked with, the director, he and I um, decided he wanted to submit it to be published. And yeah. so it ended up being published and I was supposed to present it in Liverpool last spring. Um, but of course, COVID. Of course, COVID, yeah. Became an issue. That would have been so really much. It's, been, a lot it's of been rescheduled. So I'll be presenting it in Liverpool in 2023. And I'm really excited to bring something new to the industry because it's something that literally no one has ever studied. Right. And that's just like the system that you, you're it's doing the this research and the, and the motivating yeah. factors that yeah. make people want to trust and communicate properly in order to get the work. Right. Yeah. And it's, and you're right. You're you're sat, you're standing in the middle of it, right? With with a bunch of different personalities. Everyone's out there for themselves. Right. Like, how do we get everyone going in the same direction mm -hmm. peacefully? Exactly. Right? But so that's that was my experience and I I moved from project management after I completed those projects, which I did deliver them on time under budget. Yeah. My multifamily project I did was a historic preservation project on the northeast side on 7th and Lottie, Dunbar Elementary, and converted it to senior housing. It was the highest profit multifamily project at the time that we had had at the company. Yeah. So I was really happy and pleased with how that turned out. The owner was pleased. And that moved me into a passion about the northeast side of town, which took me to <clears throat> moving into a new role for business development for the yeah. company, which they had never had that at the time. And then I also helped open a development division of the company where I was actually helping to create from inception the concept mm -hmm. and the financial piece and yeah. the design that would right. uh, we would implement into the project. And, and so one of the projects I brought in during that time was the Homeland Project on the northeast side, which is 36th and Lincoln. And as I <clears throat> got engaged on that project... I learned about the undertones of the of the neighborhood. I'd I'd already been over there for a few years at Dunbar and but now I was learning something new right. about the food desert, about people feeling invaded in their in their community and feeling like the people that were developing didn't necessarily have their best interests at heart. And so I really tried to bridge the gap there and one of the ways I was able to help facilitate that was to really understand and find and cultivate talent mm -hmm. um, in the subcontractor base that were um, minority owned. Yeah. And so that began there. And then when I came to Smith & Pickle, we have the MetroTech bond. So we are working over again on the Northeast side and it's a, a primary mm -hmm. goal for them to have minority sub engagement and as, as we are experiencing across yeah. the board this workforce development shortage, it's most especially hard to find minority subs. And we also work at Millwood yeah. Elementary and their school district. And again, that is their, their focus. So I think one of the ways that I've loved engaging in this side of town is, is trying to cultivate education and understanding. I've, I had an African-American sub for my demo sub on Dunbar and he was in my office for hours learning how to fill out the bond forms and how yeah. to understand how to appropriately fill out his pay app and you know things that he was never privy to before. So this is just part of right. my role is to help implement tools and teach the community so that we can all grow together yeah. and that they feel like they have a part and a hand in growing their community and they don't feel like someone's coming in and disturbing right. their peace and their history. Yeah. It's, you're, I mean, you are using everything, everything that you did, like, you know, Pat, the, being a model and community building and giving back, like, 
Matt hiring you is probably the best thing ever, right, for Smith and Pickles, because it all brings in that everything that like, I, I mean, it would. I wonder what he was thinking when he did hire you. Like, probably thought, hey, I'm just going to hire her. That she's going to do this cool stuff. And, but I bet he's, you've blown his expectations out of oh, the water I, by you know, know using all that. the connections that you've had. You're very and, kind, but and community stuff. I think it was there was an irony um, behind us merging together in our work. I had known Matt. Actually, Smith & Pickle was the first company to offer me a job in yeah. the industry about five, six years ago. I ended up going with Manhattan at the time, but I always wanted to work for them. Um, I just love the quality of their work, the art behind their work. Mm -hmm. I have an art history minor, so that, that is very important to me, that art is a part yeah. of our design, is a part of our construction. So I knew that, I knew their skill set, I knew that they were engaged in the community and a lot of organizations that I was also very engaged in. And <clears throat> when I found out that the person that, that was leading the role that I'm in now was leaving, I reached out and um, we grabbed coffee and he said, you know, Matt said, you know, when I found out that this position was coming open, I wrote down three names and um, you were one of them. Mm -hmm. And then you reached out like an hour later. Right. And so the timing was right. And... Um, and I was like, well, you know, don't you need my resume or, or something? And he's like, nope, I'm good. Let's yeah. just go. Let's <laughs> I'm do like, it. All right. yeah. Yeah. So I think he probably had paid enough attention that he knew what I would bring to the table. And I think one of the things that I love about Matt's thought process, well, I, I, he's a great leader, by the mm -hmm. way, um, but he took a company that was huge, you know, over the Chesapeake years. Yeah. And when, you know, Chesapeake took a nosedive, well, I, I don't want to say that. My, you know, my husband works for Chesapeake. But, I did not know um, that. <laughs> when Aubrey McClendon passed away, yeah, um, and um, a lot of our clientele just dropped off because of that, because he was kind of the mastermind behind yeah, a lot of, of that. Um, and Sam Smith and James Pickle sold the company to Matt. Matt took what I would call a sinking ship and, and really kind of steered it and turned it around. And the way he did that was by thinking outside of the box and thinking about things differently. And one of the things I think that I really like about his foresight is that he always tries to bring in a team, as far as their management side, that is not standardly in the industry. Yeah. Some people that are in other roles mm -hmm. and that have something completely different to offer, um, but have the capability to address the needs of the, of the right. system, right? And yeah, so I think sense. we have a really diverse thought process and background. Yeah. Almost none of us come from construction yeah. on the team. Which is great, right? Because like you said, it brings a new look and new insight into things that, you know, because things get stale, don't they? You know, they, you, you get used to doing what you've done. If you've grown up in construction, because most of them are family businesses too, this is how it's always been done. So this is how we're going to do it. It works but it doesn't work all the time and it doesn't work yeah. to the most efficient that it can do. And then like I said, when you bring people in that aren't necessarily born and bred and grown up around construction, like I said, they might've come from modeling or come from architectural art or whatever, and they can all do the job. You can create something really special by doing that. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, I can't think of anything more gratifying than being involved in a project and then like a building and then driving by that building every day or you know that building's going to be here for a hundred years maybe or you know like it's it's not going anywhere it is absolutely especially rewarding. the building we're in now like the, the job you guys have done this building is you know it stands out it's it's awesome isn't this it? building i i, I know this building was super special anyway <laughs> i call it the show pony yeah it's just it's stunning so i i obviously well i've had so much admiration for rand elliott i 
was onto him when I was in design school, you know, years ago, almost 20 years ago, and just have followed his work and have been a huge fan of him shaping our movement into a new type of construction. He yeah. was really the father, if you will, of that movement. And I have so much admiration for him, but this building specifically the exterior is just absolutely breathtaking. Yeah. I uh, We just got this blueprint 369 where it's on the cover. I mean, it's just, it's recognized worldwide. Yeah, yeah. Well, and also like back to community, I, I asked Matt when we did the podcast to say, well, what's, what's it like to have, like, you know, how do you feel when you drive past a building and you see that? I said, that must be really like cool. And he said, it is. But the coolest thing is the fact that his daughter is now taking classes here. Mm -hmm. And I just, his answer to that, like most people like could have said, or I mean, I probably would have said, cause I don't have kids. I'd be like, yeah, I built that. Like I'm going to stand in front of it every opportunity I get because like, that's awesome. But he just like brushed it off as if to say, it's not about like that. And I love that. That is completely accurate. I feel like he and I share thought in that, in that every project we see beyond mm -hmm. the structure, what is its purpose? What is it doing for the community? How is it bridging a gap? How is it meeting a need? Mm -hmm. um, what is the purpose behind that? I, I've had a similar full circle experience with Dunbar. It's, it's truly like my baby, but you know, this is its elementary school. It's the only original all black school, 1924 built in, uh, then. And um, we're working on the building and the community, you know, the neighborhood wanted to come and tour it. So I ended up doing a tour for the JFK neighborhood and several of the people on the tour said, you know, I went to school here. Yeah. I taught here. And I went to an event the other day and one of the women said, my best friend lives there and she went to school there. Mm -hmm. So to me, you know, the full circle yeah. and giving back and repurposing something that has memories and meaning behind it is why historic preservation truly is my favorite yeah. part of the game. And I wish there was a lot more of that happened well, sooner. We're right? doing yeah. a lot. We're about to do the armory. Okay. We're converting it to the Coop Ale yes, headquarters. Yes, that's right. I did hear that. Along with a mixed purpose of that's gonna be awesome. boutique hotel and um, yeah. restaurant and Exciting future, for sure. It'll be amazing. Yeah. Uh, anything else that's coming up other than the tap room that they're building for Coop that you're excited about? Yes, I'm I'm also excited about Harding School. It's another okay. historic. The prep, Harding Charter Prep School, is that right? <clears throat> yeah, it's yeah. the historic building. That's right. Uh -huh. That is also on, on yeah. docket to come after the Coop Ales. And, and then again, we are um, continuing to work over on the northeast side of hoping to work on the Edwards district area and Tabitha Church. And then um, I've also been engaged a lot in the tribal work lately. Okay. And yeah. I feel like it has a similar purpose to the northeast side in that their main goal in their work is to educate their people. Sure. I think um, I feel an obligation to help help to train and help to create ways, pathways for people that don't have education to be in the industry that want to be, mm -hmm. to do that. Again, the workforce development is, is high on my list. Yeah. And so I find that it's a similar um, purpose behind the tribal work. So that's been a, a huge focus of ours as well. Yeah, I mean, it, it's exciting. And I, I like listening to the whole story. It's awesome to, to kind of piece things together and bring things, you know, like I said, back full circle from meeting people out at buildings that you're doing work on, you know, the, the schools or, or bringing, you know, community and giving back all the way through the modeling stuff to 
having a modeling agency training models and then going into construction and figuring out how can we give back to the community how can we also increase the workforce build up the community no doubt you know you you speaking spanish like you mentioned comes back full circle there as well so that's really cool to see and and you know just listening to everything you're not you're continuing to continue you know, continue to push things right like like you said matt knows that you have two things you're like fully on or fully off and <laughs> and it's you know it's exciting to see where you're going and and i'm sure matt's super happy to have you and you know the city's better off for having you and smith and pickle Thank working working towards it so uh i am going to bring something back that i haven't done in a long time quick fire round oh, wow. it's we'll see how this goes so it's been a while back to toastmasters this is uh <clears throat> totally different topics but okay. um favorite movie my favorite movie historically has been thoroughly modern millie okay i'm a huge 20s era fan and that includes art deco yeah the, the clothing the movement behind women mm-hmm. the jazz music is my primary genre yeah all of the things and that movie encompasses all of those things okay uh favorite song at the moment Moon River is historically my favorite song. It comes from the movie Breakfast at Tiffany's. Mm-hmm. I really like Jane Monheit's version of it. Yeah. Um, she's also a jazz musician. There's a reoccurring theme here. I know. I know. There's, there's a jazz thing. Yeah. Jazz. <laughs> I feel like I was a 20s girl in the right. modern era. Oh, what it would have been like to go back then and see that lifestyle. Amazing. Um, favorite restaurant in Oklahoma City? Mm. That's a tough Metro. one. Okay. Metro Wine Bar. Uh, what are you Googling right now? Like, what are you interested in right now? Googling. Something that's on the mind. Well, I'm reading a book. Maybe that... Okay. I'm, what are you I'm reading? I'm sort of Googling, about, <laughs> Googling in my own way about that. I'm reading a book called Quiet. Okay. So I'm trying to understand um, more about introverts, introverts mm-hmm. and, and their thought processes and the, and the difference between shy or right. um, antisocial and introverted. Yeah. I just find it fascinating because I think... Sometimes they're overlooked, and I know several in my own life, including mm-hmm. you know one of my children, and, and I'm just trying to understand a little bit more about what they need in order to feel like they're contributing. Yeah, and better ways to have conversations with them too. Yeah. yeah. It's just a different approach than yeah. how I would be approached, and uh-huh. so it's kind of helping me learn something That's new. really cool. Um, you don't have to answer this one if you don't want to, but what is your kind of, I guess, guilty pleasure that you might be embarrassed about saying? Oh, um, I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is that I drink Diet Dr. Pepper like all the time. (laughs) And I don't know if it's because my stepdad growing up had, he was like addicted to it and it's like kind of like a memory or something, but I, it's like, I feel like I'm too old for that. I was in Arcadia yesterday and stopped off and got some, some real pop. I probably should quit, but. No, you don't want to do that. At this point, it's too. At this point, it's part of you, isn't it? Like, yeah, if I've done this, you know, it's not like that terrible. I'm sure I could come up with some way worse ones. Yeah, way more embarrassing. And then last one, if you if you weren't doing what you do now, what would you be doing? Well, which is probably tough because you've done a lot of things. The only thing I can really come up with right now, because I, you know, I'm always kind of looking to the future. I do think at some point I'll probably get involved in lobbying. Okay. Um, I've never been a politician or politically charged or, you know, moved by anything in particular. But um, as I've learned more about public, public policy and gone through several leadership programs in the last few years, certain things have come to light that I feel mm-hmm. like I care enough about and could be educated enough about to 
advocate for. And obviously one of them is yeah. the Rodolco construction industry, which we don't have a lot right. of people there at the Capitol representing on that end. We have a lot on the road and bridge side, but, um, and then also the workforce development is really mm -hmm. a primary um, thought process. I think lobbying is interesting to me because I don't want to be out on the forefront. I want to be kind of behind the scenes, moving things forward. I, I prefer to be on the back end of things and have since probably I started my company. I just yeah. have found that I, I thrive more on the backside because I feel like I can drive sure. the ship a little bit easier. Yeah, seeing I everything see, from you the back. Step away yeah. And you see where it's going and you can navigate it a little bit easier than being just out there in front right. all the time. And so I think... Yeah. I think at some point my career will lead me that in that direction. Awesome, we'll look and it, it to might be that. coinciding with what I do now, and it might yeah. be completely separate. I have no idea. Right. Uh, awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the podcast and share. Uh, you know, I, there's a lot of things that you do, and I'm sure we missed a few things. But um, you know, it, it's awesome to see what you're doing. It's awesome to see you know the community impact that that you're building through Smith and Pickle, and, and just the stuff that you're doing with them. If there's anyone listening that feels moved uh, and just has resonated, something we've said has resonated with them, how do they get in touch? Uh, it might be, you know, someone's listening who's a mother that wants to get in touch about, you know, learning about her daughter, whatever it is, mm -hmm. how do they reach out? I would say probably my biggest platform, if you will, is Instagram. Okay. I'm pretty active and mm -hmm. pretty accessible there. And my handle is hroba, R-O-U-B-A. I'm also on LinkedIn, and then of course you can always go through smithandpickle.com website or brinkmodels.com mm -hmm. website, but I feel like I'm pretty easy to get hold of yeah. if you need to. Awesome. Well, for those listening, I'll put the links to uh, Heather's contact information down there. You can go and yeah, hit her up if you have any questions, but um, thanks again for coming down. I really appreciate it. And for everyone listening, we'll catch you next episode. Cheers. Thank you. This podcast is presented by the Oklahoma Hall of Fame, telling Oklahoma's story through its people since 1927. For more information on the Hall of Fame, go to www.oklahomahof.com and follow them on Instagram for daily updates at oklahomahof. Also, huge shout out to RCB Bank for jumping on board to be a sponsor. RCB Bank's loan promotion is here for a limited time. Head into any of their 40 Oklahoma locations to get as low as 1.79 APR on your next car, boat, camper, or ATV. Apply online at rcbbank.com. RCB Bank, that's my bank. Rate and finance with approved credit. Restrictions apply and member FDIC. Huge shout out to my sponsors. Uh, thank you for listening. We'll catch you next episode. Cheers. Thank you for listening. We are inspired by those around us and hope that you are too. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast platform and leave us a review so we can keep telling your stories. For more great Oklahoma content, follow This Is Oklahoma on Facebook and Instagram.